Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast on this International Women's Day edition of the show. We're going to talk to the CEO of Canadian Women and Sport, Allison Sandmeyer Graves, and also check in on the Manitoba Female Hockey League, under 18 AAA league that had to cancel its season, the latest hockey league to say, you know what, we can't do it. The pandemic, we can't do it. That's all coming up on the podcast. Today, as you may have heard, is International Women's Day. And so let's talk women in sports. It's the uh, 40th anniversary as well of the Canadian, or the organization called Canadian Women and Sport. Their mission to build an equitable and inclusive sports system that empowers girls and women. The CEO of that group is Allison Sandmeyer Graves, and she joins us now. Allison, thanks for your time. Happy International Women's Day. What is today all about for you? Is it celebration, reflection? What say you? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, International Women's Day is a really special day in the calendar every year for us, absolutely. And it's all those things. Celebration for sure, because it's about recognizing women and celebrating their contributions in all areas of society. For us, it's with, it's with them through sport. Um, and really making sure that, that some of the folks that, that do this work day in, day out, and don't get a lot of credit for it, really get the spotlight today. Uh, but certainly it's a moment of reflection as well. It's an opportunity to check in on the progress that we've made and to consider uh, how much further we need to go and, and how do we get there. This is our 40th anniversary as well, so it's even more of a reflection moment for us. So let's start with the, the positives. How far has women's sports come, and, and not just women, but girls as well, over the course of the 40 years of your organization? Uh, a long way, I would say, in a nutshell. Um, the founders of the organization, uh, who are women in sport themselves and their allies, uh, founded the organization in response to the sexism and discrimination that they were experiencing and their, their peers were experiencing, uh, really wanting to challenge the status quo, challenge the male dominance in sport, and really bring a feminist or a gender lens to what was happening. At the time, though, as you can imagine, that was a pretty foreign concept, and a lot of their work was about convincing people that there was a problem, convincing people to care about it, and advocating strongly for, uh, for solutions and a space for women and girls where they could be safe, welcome, and included within sport. So if you fast forward to today, definitely some of the same issues remain. There's no doubt about that. But has there been progress? Absolutely. And we see just even over the course of the year, which was full of pandemic, um, that women are still breaking barriers um, in the professional sports space, um, and women are increasingly sitting at those decision-making tables throughout sport and shaping the direction of sports. So lots to celebrate for sure, um, but we're not settled. We're not satisfied yet. There's more to go. So what are some of the hurdles uh, that exist right now, just beyond the pandemic, just in a, you know, in a normal, there's no pandemic, what inequities exist for, for girls and women in sport? Yeah, I find it helpful to look at some of the stats, which really start to give you a bit of a picture of, of what's going on. So we look at, for instance, girls' participation in sport, and we see that um, starting in early childhood, they start off really similar, but they, their paths start to diverge. And by the time 
girls are in their teen years, they're dropping out at a, at a rate of three times that of boys. So they're really missing out on that lifelong engagement in sport and all the benefits that that will bring. And there's a real gender gap that shows up there. We also see that only one in four coaches in Canada is a woman. Is a woman. And when you go up in competition all the way to the Olympics, that number drops really significantly. Um, at the boardroom table, we're seeing some progress. Uh, we're getting closer to 50-50, although that really varies by sport. Um, it was just this last year, for instance, that Hockey Canada added two women to the board, the first two women. Um, and that's a great step forward, um, but long overdue. So there's uh, lots of room for improvement across the system. But I would say that there's a lot more uh, readiness and willingness to take action. And that's very encouraging. I think a lot of the momentum right now in, in talking about women's sports is about women's hockey. We've seen the National Women's Hockey League. They put on a bubble uh, earlier in the year. It didn't work out. There's, they've announced today they're going to crown a champion later this month in Boston. But then we've got the professional women's uh, Hockey Players Association doing this Dream Gap tour. And there's a lot of talk about one league and uh, more momentum with the NHL, some NHL teams supporting women's hockey. How big a deal would it be to women's sports in this country, in this continent, to have a sustainable pro women's hockey league? I think it would be a huge deal. And that's why there's been so much energy by so many women and their allies to make it happen. Uh, really persevering through a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, this, the Canadian Women's Hockey League lasted 10 years uh, through really a Herculean effort. Uh, so it's a big deal because um, it's, it's symbolic, absolutely. Um, but it is also, it just creates that pathway for women in sport. Boys grow up imagining a career playing sport. Very few girls enjoy that luxury. And while very few boys will ultimately make it to the NHL in the scheme of the whole number of boys who play, um, that, that almost doesn't matter. It's almost beside the point. Um, it inspires them to engage with a sport that they love, and they benefit so much from that in the process. And we want girls to have those same opportunities. How has curling been a leader in equal pay in their events and the fact that when you look at popularity of women's sports in this country, I would say women's curling is close to on the same level as men's curling in Canada. Yeah, it's a fascinating example, and I think that there's a lot to learn from it. And credit to Catherine Henderson, the CEO of Curling Canada, and the board and the team there. Um, this is something that they've really been paying a lot of attention to and working with their partners to advance. Uh, you know, pay wasn't equal in um, the, at the top levels of curling up until a couple of years ago, uh, but that's the story everywhere. Uh, what's, what's nice about and what's important about the curling story is in recognizing that uh, they responded to it and they figured it out and they made it happen. And so I think for a long time, organizations have known that these problems exist, but you know, haven't felt that it was a matter of any urgency or importance. And we're seeing the example with Curling Canada um, that they're recognizing it and they're figuring out how to move equity forward. And we've also seen that with uh, tennis majors too, offering similar prize amounts for the women's as the men's, because 
I would probably say women's tennis is the most popular women's sport on the planet. Yeah, you know, and again, there's they're really setting the standard. I was just on a call with Stacey Allister, who has been such a force for in women's tennis and helping to bring about equity in that space. It's remarkable, though, how many sports um, don't start from a place of we should do this and let's figure out how to make it happen. A lot of energy gets spent arguing why it doesn't make sense. And we've seen that with uh, the women's soccer in the U.S. Um, so we're, we're really optimistic, though, that leaders increasingly understand that gender equity builds better sport that it is important for the growth of their sport and the sustainability of it. And there's tons of research to support that and to really recognize that there is a strategic advantage to equity that they can be seizing on if they make these moves. Back to women in power positions, would a lot of these issues be easier resolved simply if more women were in positions of power? (laughs) I think that there is a clear case for that, absolutely. Uh, women need a voice at the table. Uh, and that, that table, that's boardroom tables, it's those senior executive tables, that's where decisions on strategy are made, on investment. And uh, if women aren't present there, it increases the chance that equity won't come up and that the women's side will not be prioritized as highly. And so we don't want to just participate in a system that is run by men. We want to shape the system too. And it's not just for the betterment of women. Again, research shows time and time again how having diverse people at those tables produces better outcomes for the organization and for all the people involved in it. So it's really in everybody's best interest. It's not a women's issue. It's a sport issue. Has the pandemic affected women's and girls sports in different ways than it has for men's sports and boys sports? It remains a little bit to be seen. Uh, We are working on some research uh, that we'll have available later this spring with our partner at the E-Alliance that examines what the impact of COVID has been on girls and women in the sport and physical activity space. Um, You know, we know that women have been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic in every area of our society. And I would argue that sport will not be an exception to this. Uh, So for that reason, we're really advocating for sports as they're making the very difficult decisions that they're faced with to make sure women are at the table, to use that gender lens and to ask, you know, how are women going to be impacted by this Um, and making sure you're not putting them at a disadvantage unintentionally. Um, and ultimately, just to to you know make sure that girls are at the center of those return to sport plans and be intentional about it, because otherwise we risk having more girls sitting on the sidelines than we did going into this thing. Let's end on an optimistic note. What makes you excited about the future for women's sport and girls sports? I am really optimistic by nature, but uh, I think going going into the pandemic, which things shut down right after International Women's Day last year. Uh, there was a ton of momentum and there was fear that that momentum was going to be lost. I think a lot of things happened over the last 12 months that have given us reason to hope. Women breaking barriers all over the place, really successful tournament play in the women's leagues, investment from media and from corporate sponsors, um, and a lot of organizations working with groups like ours to identify how they can move forward. So 
lots of really positive things going on behind the scenes and out in the public that just tell me that people care, they're ready to move on this, and we're going to see the results of that, I'm confident. Well, thanks for this, Allison. Appreciate your time tonight. Again, happy International Women's Day, and hopefully we have uh, many positive stories to talk about in the future. Thank you. I hope that as well. I appreciate you helping to tell this story. Let's take you back to October 28th, 2020. The Winnipeg Avros beat the Eastman Selects 2-0 in what ends up being the final game of the Manitoba Female Hockey League under-18 AAA League because, like many leagues, they were shut down because of Code Red and it just took too long, I guess, to get things going again. We're joined now by League President Brad Kirk. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you very much, uh, Christian, for having us. It's a real, uh, real pleasure. So this the decision recently to shut things down, I, I guess you really didn't have another choice, did you? No, no. We, You know what? We, uh, to use the, the hockey phrase, we dragged the puck as long as we could um, on uh, on making a decision. But you know what? It's beginning of March, and, you know, the, this order lasts three weeks, and, and really no, um, you know, no visibility as to when games will be allowed. So it's a pretty big stretch to go from only allowing, was it 10 players on the ice or 20 players on the ice, and and uh, and that to having full of games. So uh, we just, you know, didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel and, and had to make the call. How difficult a decision was it? Incredibly difficult. Like, I mean, we we really want to get these girls playing. I mean, that's the that's the best thing of the league, and and with any minor hockey program, um, is is getting them on the ice and and you know everything that you can do when you're on the ice and in the dressing room and 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 stuff like that. And it just it was you know what it was a tough decision, but I think everyone knew that the writing was on the wall uh, on this, but doesn't mean that you know there's there's things they can still do over the the course of the next while. But uh, I think declaring a a league champion probably isn't uh, isn't fair. Uh, I think on on all the teams and and all the girls themselves. From a developmental standpoint, this pretty much you know lost season. You had a few games in in October, but it's more or less a lost season. What will this do to the players? I think um, you know what they there was things that they could do developmental wise. You know, every team was kind of unique in, in some of the things that they were able to do. You know, uh, you know workouts and that, and 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 yeah, you, they weren't able to get on the ice uh, and that sort of thing, but. Uh, I, you know, I think a lot of these girls, you know, you have three years in our programs, um, at least. There's some that, that get four uh, if they're uh, if they're bent to major coming in. You know, they have that opportunity to develop and, and showcase and, and hopefully for those that want to move on to the next level, you know, whether that be a CIS, uh, NCAA, ACHA, or, or whatever it might be, or even other programs. I mean, we've had girls that go on to play baseball down in the States. Right. So, so I think there, there's opportunities for them. And, and because every, you know, team across the country is, is facing the same thing. Um, you know, girls are, are, you know, there's other ways that they can go through and, and develop their skills and promote themselves and, and look for opportunities uh, after, uh, after the season. In the meantime, hockey Manitoba last week unveiled its new return to play plans. As you mentioned, I believe up to 10 players at once can be on the ice. You can't play games, but, you could have ten people on the ice together. Have players been taking advantage of that new order? Yeah, yeah. Some of the teams uh, were booking ice. I think starting, um, it may have even been starting tonight or or tomorrow night. It sort of depends on on the facility and then what's available. And uh, and so I know for sure uh, 
there was teams that were going to be taking advantage of that, uh, you know, getting on the ice at least a couple of a uh, couple of times a week, um, and uh, and you know having that opportunity over the over the course of the next uh, three weeks. I uh, imagine. To, uh, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, just really to get on the ice and you know a little bit more than the one-on-one. Um, some teams, have, you know, they they were able to take advantage of outdoor ice. Um, but you know, that's region specific and it, it seemed to, all of a sudden we went from winter to spring. Um, so that window uh, closed pretty quickly. Yeah. The last week it just like disappeared completely. The ability to go outside. I mean, we had half hardly any snow left in a lot of spots here in Winnipeg. So I guess that first time back on the ice indoors in more of a controlled setting, I mean, that's gotta be a cool feeling. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that's what I heard from, from some of the coaches when they're, they were, you know, getting, and I mean, everybody was really excited, um, you know, to, you know, in the news, it sort of seemed last week, okay, that's what's going to happen. You know, they foreshadow a lot of the, the stuff. Um, you know, it, it's sort of the mixed message that you're, they're finally able to get on the ice, at least with part of their team. Uh, but then the balance of the fact that, hey, they're not competing for, for that league trophy. So it was a bit of a mixed emotions, I think, for for a lot of the teams, and, and we actually made the decision on Thursday, uh, but we wanted to to make sure the teams had the opportunity to to speak to their players and and you know go through go through that process before uh, you know announcing on social media, and and we didn't want a you know a Twitter uh, feed being the, you know how these girls find out about uh, you know the cancellation of of, uh, of league play. Talking with Brad Kirk, he's the president of the Manitoba Female Hockey League, under-18 AAA league here in Manitoba. Brad, for those who may not be as familiar with the league, how many teams do you have, where do you play out of, and uh, how many players are in the league? Yeah, we have uh, eight teams uh, in our league. Uh, we are spread uh, across the province. So uh, we don't have a team in uh, the Norman region at this point, but we do have uh, Eastman, Interlake, uh, two Winnipeg teams, one in Pemina Valley, Portage, Central Plains area, um, Westman and, and Yellowhead, so it's spread right across the uh, the province. Um, and uh, right now, I mean, on on average, we, we have about 150 players uh, in our league, with about a third of them uh, being in in sort of major age, and then you know a third, a third, a third is, is generally how it's split, split out. And the players in your league, where do they often go from here in terms of their hockey career? Yeah, they um, a whole variety of places. Um, we we do get some players uh, going down into the states to play, you know, Division One uh, or Division Three hockey. Uh, there's uh, there's a few that go down to the states as well to play in, in the ACHA, like Minot State, for example, picks up a fair number of our players. Um, and there's CIS, uh, University of Manitoba, picks up a number of our players. Uh, and uh, and out in Brandon as well, Assiniboine Community College uh, as well. Is a uh, it was a big spot. If you're out in the West, um, we do have a number of players go to play for Regina, um, and uh, and and points um, you know farther west than that. Uh, a couple go down uh, down east, um, and then there's a number that you know what make a choice that uh, you know what they're going to uh, continue on with with local schools and, and maybe don't want to go through you know the, the the college university program and and play in the junior women's hockey league. And Manitoba is one of the few provinces that, that actually have a phenomenal under-21 league. And uh, and so they take advantage of that as, as well. So when you see your players go off into any number of avenues, how important do you, do you feel that aspect is for this league to be a, a breeding ground for you know furthering careers, whether it be hockey or just personal growth? 
Yeah, it's it's incredibly important. I mean, having that, you know, the the, the great thing about our league is it's affordable. Um, you know, you don't you don't have to spend a lot of money to to play in our league and to get that kind of exposure to 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 these schools. And uh, you know, and then going on to you know the the things you learn from from going on to these uh, collegiate programs and post secondary programs. I mean, not it's not all just about the hockey. Uh, you know, it's about the, the life skills and, and, and the things that you learn in, in these college programs and these university programs and um, as well as the hockey and, and just the things that, you know, the, the dedication that it takes uh, for these players. I mean, it's ingrained with them in, in playing in AAA um, U18 hockey uh, to balance your school and, and your hockey programs and your personal life. But you just take that on to the next level when you're, you get to the collegiate level. So, you know, having those opportunities, uh, you know, are amazing life skills for them, you know, once they, you know, once they complete uh, or finish playing at, at that higher level. So I imagine, Brad, that looking ahead to the fall of 2021, looking at the vaccines, looking at the landscape, fingers crossed that you can have a normal season? Yeah, we, you know what, we, we went into this past fall thinking we were have a, you know, we, we made some changes to how we schedule, but our plan was still to have a, a full 28-game league schedule. And with our league, um, the, the way the girls get exposure is through showcase events, right? They, they go to different tournaments in the States or down East or out West, and, you know, that, those opportunities weren't there. But, you know, for, you know, there's a lot of live streams that, that happen in video um, so our, our plan is to, at least from a, from a league perspective, I can't speak to showcase events, but for, for a league perspective, I mean, we plan on having a full schedule and, and all of our teams, you know, committed to come back uh, as they do every year. Um, love to have Norman come back if, uh, if the numbers work out for them. Uh, but uh, we do plan. And, and if we have to tweak our schedule for, you know, no overnight trips or limited overnight trips, we'll do that just like we did in this past fall. And, and we can work within whatever whatever rules and, and guidelines are put out by the uh, provincial health authorities. Well, Brad, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for coming on and best of luck with everything. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this. Place.